0: You're listening to a sermon from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas. Get to know Grace Church better by visiting our website at www.gracechurchfrisco.org. Today's speaker is Pastor Rob Tumbrella. Well, good morning. If we've never met, my name is Rob. I'm one of the pastors here at the church and just want to welcome, welcome you, especially if you're new with us. Um we so, so glad to be together uh, and uh, to be able to preach God's Word uh, to you together. It is a joy. Um, it truly is, especially on a difficult week and in a difficult uh, several weeks, really. So thank you so much for being here today. What I want to share with you today is about our call to the next generation. It's hard to imagine that there could possibly be something right now in our world, in the United States, that is more important than COVID and everything that surrounds it, more important than the elections and everything entailed in that, more important than vaccines and all that will unfold with that, bigger than social unrest, even bigger than how in the world we're going to talk about all of those things over Thanksgiving dinner later this week. And, and it's this, it's our call to reach and disciple what researchers are describing as the most unreached generation in American history over the next 30 years. Pine Tops Foundation released a well-researched report about three years ago, and it hasn't been refuted since. And they said this, this is basically, you can get it for free, you can download it for free, it's called greatopportunity.org, and they described their summary findings this way. The bottom line is this, the next 30 years will represent the largest missions opportunity in the history of America. It is the largest and fastest numerical shift in religious affiliation in the history of this country. Even in the most optimistic scenarios, Christian affiliation in the United States shrinks dramatically. And in our base case, over 1 million youth, at least nominally in the church today, will choose to leave each year for the next three decades. 35 million youth raised in families that call themselves Christians will say that they are not by 2050. The good news, if we can return the church's retention and evangelism back to Gen X rates, we will see 16 million more youth begin or continue a life with Jesus. They go on to say, we believe that our base case likely understates the problem. While it is hard to find clear data, as far as we can tell, this is the single largest generational loss of souls in history who were nominally raised in the church and no longer call themselves followers of Jesus. This is not a gradual shift as in Europe, and also fundamentally different. We do not believe this is the result of secularization, but of indifference. The need is urgent. The last millennial's are now nearly 20. We've lost much of the opportunity for millennials, and the first wave of Gen Z is now entering college. But again, they say, if we return to retention and evangelism like we saw just 20 years ago, more people will be saved than during both Great Awakenings, the African-American church growth after the Civil War, the Azusa revivals, and every Billy Graham conversion combined. The numbers are just that big. And that's why they describe their report as the largest gospel opportunity in the history of America. Now, I share all that with you not because Pine Tops or other researchers call us to the next generation, but because the Bible does. And in Psalm 145, we see God calling us to the next generation and shows us exactly what to do. And it calls us specifically to three things. It calls us to a personal king, verses 1 through 3, to a corporate responsibility in verses 4 through 13, and to supernatural help for the rest of the psalm. Personal King, corporate responsibility, and supernatural help. So if you're turning there on your device or you have a physical Bible, just please get to Psalm 145 and let me pray. Holy Spirit, we invite your help as we open up your word. We invite you to speak to us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Notice where King David, who's writing this psalm, starts. He starts with extolling God as his king. I will extol you, my God and king. This is the starting place. This is the beginning point of all personal revival and personal renewal. It starts here. It starts with recognizing God as king and moving from God is king or God is a king to God is my king. It's locating yourself With who God is as king and as an act of reverence and worship to extol and to exalt. And that's what David does. It's a response of trust. It's a relationship of trust. God is my king and I will extol you or exalt you. Some of your translations might say it's it's translated the same way. What does it mean to extol or to exalt? It means to raise something to the highest of heights. Philippians 2, we read that God has highly exalted Jesus and made him Lord over all. That's what it means to exalt something. It means to raise it over all things. It means whatever is competing with an exalted place, it comes down Because only one thing can be lifted up to the highest place. And that's what it means to exalt anything. So for David to say, I exalt you, God. He says, I exalt you to the highest place of my heart. The highest affection. The highest center point of my heart. Everything else comes down. That's what it means to exalt God. And it is not a a passive waiting for this to take place. It's an act of the will. David says, as as an act of my will, by grace, I choose to raise God to the highest place of my heart. Because I will bless your name forever and ever. Because you are my personal king. He goes on in verse 2 to say, every day I will bless you and praise your name. Again, forever and ever. And ever. And then we're told why in verse 3. Verse 3 For great is the Lord, and greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Do you see how he stacks that word three times in one small verse? The Lord is great, he's greatly to be praised, and his greatness is unsearchable. Literally, that means in the Hebrew, Of his greatness, there is no search. There is no search engine that will exhaust his greatness. Nothing out there can discover all of his greatness. He says, of this God, there is no end to his beauty. There is no final comprehension. There is no moment that we've seen it all. There's no moment where we'll turn to each other and say, we've completed our search of his greatness. His greatness will stretch on and stretch on and unfold for all of eternity. David says he's infinitely marvelous in the unfolding of his glories forever and ever and ever. And a billion ages of intense and focused exploration will never exhaust his eternal greatness or our joy in every new discovery of his greatness. Joy will go on forever for his greatness is infinite. So what that means is when we sing the song Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, and we get to that line where it says, when we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. You know that song. We've no less days to sing God's praise, but we've also no less greatness to newly discover each and every one of those days. No less days and no less greatness to discover in those days. So it would be appropriate right now just to pause and ask ourselves this question. Do we see God as king and do we see him as unsearchably great? Is he exalted to the highest place of our hearts? Maybe we should pause and turn to the next generation, the generation coming up behind us to ask this question. Would the next generation see God this way? Have they caught that vision of God from us? Well, who is the next generation? I mentioned Generation Z earlier. If you're trying to get your head around Generation Z, uh, or if you're trying to get your head around Millennials and you're like, I'm still trying to figure out who those those people are, it, 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 it's unfortunately, we love you Millennials, but you just got surpassed last week in terms of size. So just focus now on generation z i guess last year generation z became the largest generation in american history depending on when you date them it's the people born between 1996 to 2015 5 years old kindergarten age to 24 year old college they encompass 72 to 80 million people in the united states And globally, 32% of the population, 2.47 billion of the 7.7 billion people on earth are Generation Z, surpassing millennials and baby boomers, respectively. In the U.S., in a nationwide survey, 20% of Generation Z said attending a local church is important. Which would mean, conservatively speaking, 57 million kids and teenagers are not connected to a church. Which means if you were to put them on a state in the United States, we don't have a state that comes close to that population. It would be double the size of the entire population of Texas. Generation Z is the most social The most empowered, the most digital, and also the most anxious youth population in human history, we're told. The suicide rate among people aged 10 to 24 has jumped 56% since 2007, even more through COVID. But this same group is also, thankfully, more likely to report their mental health struggles than millennials or Generation Xers, according to to the American Psychological Association. According to a recent Barna study, half of 18 year olds in the United States report anxiety and fear of failure. And about 40% say they often feel sad or depressed. 34% of young people say they feel lonely and isolated from others. We are also told about Generation Z that they are less religious than any previous generation. About one third of them have no religious affiliation. Isn't that shocking considering all the numbers of churches in the United States? In 2018 report, Barna found that 35% of Gen Z teens considered themselves atheists, compared to 30% of millennials, 30% of Generation X, and 26% of baby boomers. One researcher said it this way, Gen Z is different because they have grown up in a post-Christian, post-modern environment where many of them have not even been exposed to Christianity or to church. He says, there are a lot of churches that are empty in this country. Gen Z is the one generation who's really showing the fruit of that. For the first time in our nation's history, there are many of them who are a spiritual blank slate. Now, a good question would be for us to ask, what does this generation need from us? What does this generation, this this up and coming generation need from the current generation or the previous generation? What do they need the, the most from us? What I'd like to contend with you today is that this generation, a generation that's lost at sea statistically and is lost in the sea of the abyss of the present, probably don't need more of our anxieties and fears of the future placed on them and placed over them. They have enough themselves and they don't need any more of our fears and our concerns of the future. All of our anxieties dumped upon them. Instead, they need spiritual adults who are anchored to eternity and believe Jesus is king and his kingdom is advancing and Jesus is unsearchably great. As they, as they try to tether themselves to something, they need spiritual leaders who are steady in these days and in the days to come, who know their king, and they know the greatness of their king, and they're able to transfer his greatness to the next generation, anchored to eternity and not to the present. Extolling God is the highest place of their hearts. What are you anchored to Today? What are you steadying yourself to? What are you extolling? What is the highest place, the exalted status of your heart today? God is on the move in our lives to tell us today whatever is competing for the highest place, remove it. For your sake, and for the next generation. Let's look at our corporate responsibility in verse 4 through 13. Notice notice the way that worship works in the next generation. It's not as though we are shaking our finger and teaching the next generation. No. One generation shall commend. That, that, that means worship in front of. Another generation shall commend your works to another and shall declare your mighty acts on the glorious splendor of your majesty. And on your wondrous works, I will meditate, David says. They shall speak of the might of your awesome deeds. And I will declare your greatness. They shall pour forth the fame of your abundant goodness and shall sing aloud of your righteousness. They are not silent. They are not passive. They do not sit back or do not sit on their hands. They, with vocal opportunity, speak of his fame and pour forth singing aloud of his righteousness and his abundant goodness. The Lord is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. The Lord is good to all and his mercy is over all that he's made. All your works shall give thanks to you, O Lord, and all your saints shall bless you. They shall speak of the glory of your kingdom and tell of your power. To make known to the children of man your mighty deeds and the glorious splendor of your Kingdom. For your kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Notice it's one generation, all the ages within one generation, pouring forth speech and praise and transferring all that they have seen and know and have experienced of God to another generation. Verse 6 says, They shall speak of the might of God of your awesome deeds. Verse 7, they shall pour forth fame. Verse 10, all your saints shall bless you. Verse 11, they shall speak of the glory and tell of your power. Who are they saying this to? To make known to the children, to the children, the next generation, the people coming up the ones we pass the baton to, we will make known to them your mighty deeds and we will tell and pour forth the fame of your glory for God is unsearchably great. This is God's plan of revival. God revives the next generation through the previous generation. It happens in every generation. It happens when one generation takes ownership of the awakened reality of who God is and they transfer and commend those works and that praise to the next generation. It's through the sacrificial focus of adults and parents and grand- grandparents who lock arms for the next generation to be awakened to the reality of who God is. Pine Top says it this way: many of the great leaders in American church history: Edwards, Whitfield, Wesley, Asbury, Allen, Seymour, Graham saw the church's fidelity increase precisely because it was concerned with reaching the lost, usually starting with the youth. Evangelicals are so named because they are concerned with sharing the good news with those who have not yet heard it. That's that's what an evangelical is. It's sharing the gospel, the good news, with those who have not yet heard it. Well who are those those people who have not yet heard it? Well consider where we are right now in in Frisco. If we could just locate ourselves within that data, by twenty twenty five there will be around seventy thousand kids, that's kids and teens in Frisco ISD alone, not including all the thousands of kids in McKinney, in Little Elm, in Prosper, in North Plano in so many other places that are within a short driving distance of our church. Thousands of kids. And if we can wrap our heads around this, thousands of those kids and teens have never heard the gospel. Hearing the name Jesus is not synonymous with having heard the gospel. And thousands of these kids and teenagers have never heard The gospel. You could say, well, look at all the churches and student ministries and kids' ministries and VBS. If we were to pile up all our church attendance of all our sophisticated churches, all of our student ministries, all of our kids' ministries, all our VBS, we barely scratch the surface. The numbers are that. Big. We would be shocked. We'd be shocked. These kids and teenagers sit with our kids in school. They play in our playgrounds. They are on our sports teams. They live next door to us. And they don't have anyone sharing the gospel with them. You could say, well, aren't the parents sharing the gospel with them? No, their parents aren't sharing the gospel because they've never heard the gospel either. Thousands, thousands have never heard the gospel either If they have heard the gospel, they don't believe the gospel. And we have very involved parents in Frisco, and I'm very grateful for that. But many of the involved parents have only taught their kids that salvation comes through obedience to the God of academics, athletics, or the arts. And that three-headed dragon has a strong foothold in North Dallas. It moves throughout our city and captivates our kids and captivates our parents. And I love all those things, and I'm involved in all those things. But what that means is that unless there's an intervention thousands graduate high school year after year, 12 high schools in Frisco alone. And thousands will walk the stage not knowing why they exist, not understanding God's law or what sin is, not understanding who Jesus is or why Jesus died on the cross, not knowing about faith in Jesus and how through faith they can be forgiven of their sins and given new life and come into a whole new glorious kingdom. Instead, they embrace a confused, customized cocktail of spirituality based upon their own authority and things they've heard here and there and over here and pulled together trying to find hope in that. And the reason that they don't know the gospel is that no one's told them the gospel. It's not for lack of believers Within proximity to them. Or churches within proximity to them. No one's interrupted their life to tell them the gospel. And many of us have not told them the gospel. Because we have become indifferent to their situation. Charles Spurgeon said this. He says, if I never won souls, I would sigh till I did. I would break my heart over them if I could not break their hearts. Though I can understand the possibility of an earnest sower never reaping, I cannot understand the possibility of an earnest sower being content not to reap. I cannot comprehend any one of you Christian people trying to win souls and not having results and being satisfied without results. Oh, that our hearts would break for the next generation. If we cannot break their hearts, God, would you break our hearts? Would you break our hearts for the next generation? Would you break our hearts for the thousands of kids who have never heard the gospel? If you were to ask me, what's our church doing about it? One of the things that we are trying to do about it is through our next generation teams of Grace Kids and The Square. If you were to say, what's, what, what's, what are those ministries about? Those ministries are about a multi-generational effort with broken hearts to win as many people to Jesus as possible. We want to open up our arms as wide as we can till every last child and teenager in our city hears the gospel, unashamedly so. This is our missionary identity and our missional posture. Every child, we will not rest until we have done what we can. We know other churches must join us in this. We are not an island to ourselves But we will do everything we can until every child and every teenager everywhere in our city area has every last opportunity to hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. We want to reach parents with the gospel. The thousands of parents who have never heard the gospel. And we want to help them dream a bigger dream for their kids than what Athletics and the arts and academics can promise. And we want to equip parents to disciple their kids so their kids hear from mom and dad and grandma and grandpa the unsearchable greatness of Jesus Christ. That's what we're trying to do. We want to transfer to the next generation a heart that extols the greatness of God. When I think of somebody who was not satisfied without seeing souls saved, it was Dustin rhymes. To know Dustin was to know a man who was living with urgency for people to know Jesus, was he not? If you knew him, you were going to encounter somebody who was in love with Christ and passionate for people to know Jesus. And, and you were going to hear about something he was doing in his life to help people to, to know Jesus and uh, and, and experience, uh, experience new life in him. And he was passionate for the next generation. So before COVID, we had these cards out on the backs of seats, as many of you know. We would always say, please fill out a card. And Dustin every week would fill out a card. And at some point... Some point mid twenty nineteen or something, uh, for Dustin that card. We thought the card was big enough. We thought it was sufficient to communicate a prayer request, and it was. It was not for Dustin. He he made his own document. He said this is too small, so he went and created his own document for his family, to fully communicate all, of, all the prayer requests for the next generation, for each one of his kids, for his wife, for his clients, for the people that he was witnessing to uh, on the job. I mean, and he would just pour out prayer on, on these sheets every week. And uh, I mean, praying for clients and his kids and uh, for his own heart to, 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 to love Jesus even more. At one point there, I saw yesterday, he, they were praying for an adoption. Um, as well. They were praying for a little girl uh, overseas. And uh, one of my kids said of Dustin yesterday, he was, he was always like carrying his kids everywhere that he went, just walking around with his kids, like everywhere. And I said, that's right. And that is a real, that's synonymous of his life. It's a summary of his life, just carrying around the next generation, carrying around people on his heart, And I just imagine what would happen in my life, what would happen in our church if we caught some of that fire for the next generation, if we caught some of that unashamed posture of belief in the gospel and of God's power and willingness to save those who turn and trust in him, just like he saved us. if that would grab hold of our hearts and, and what would happen in our church, what would happen in our city If God would spark that in our lives. Well, that's where we get to his supernatural help. Look at verse 14. The Lord is faithful in all his words. And he's kind in all his works. The Lord upholds those who are falling and raises up all who are bowed down. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways and kind in all his works. The Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him, and he hears their cry and saves them. The Lord preserves all who love him, but all the wicked he will destroy. My mouth will speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. Notice, the Lord is at work. He's kind in all his works. He was at work in your generation. He was at work in my generation. He saved me in the midst of generation X. We were told God's not at work in your generation. He was at work in my generation, just like he was at work in yours, just like he's at work in generation Z. And he will be faithful in his work whether or not we choose To get on board or not. He will be faithful and he will be kind in all his works. And we join him in his work as he upholds all those who are falling and raises up those who are bowed down. Do you feel like you are falling? Do you feel like you're failing? Do you feel like these days you're not holding on and you don't know what you're holding on to? And it just feels so bleak and feel like you're drowning Verse 14 says, you're not drowning for the Lord upholds you. You are being upheld right now. You may not feel like you're being upheld, but the Lord is upholding you. He upholds all who are falling down. And he raises up all who are bowed down. If we posture ourselves to bow down before God and we say, God, we need you to move, Right now in my life, I need you to move in my family. I'm not extolling you. I'm not exalting you. I'm exalting other things. If we bow our hearts down, he will raise us up. That's what verse 14 says. He will raise us up and he will move in this next generation through us in ways that we could never imagine. Do you ache for something to change? Look at verse 15. The eyes of all look to you and you give them their food in due season. He will not delay. Do we need God to move? Certainly we do. Verse 16 says, you open your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. We can communicate any desire to him knowing that he will open his hand. He cares, he's kind, he loves, and he satisfies our desires as we look to him for help. Do you feel like this is all impossible? In our own strength, it is impossible. But verse 18 says, the Lord is near To all who call on him. Hear that. The Lord is near to you right now. The Lord is near to you right now. To all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. He fulfills the desires of those who fear him. He also hears the cry and saves them. He hears our cries, He hears your cries. And he saves you. He will lift us up. He will help us. He has not abandoned us. He will uphold us as he has upheld us. He will uphold us. He's upheld the previous generation. He will uphold the next generation. And he will uphold us in this moment of our lives. We're going to close by singing. If you'll stand with me, Zechariah 4, 6 reminds us kind of this last section of Psalm 145. It says, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, it's not our strength, it's not our strategy, it's not our cleverness, that we see things moved or changed in our lives or in that, the next generation or in the current generation. It is by his spirit. And as we sweetly surrender to him and to his power, we look to his might and look to his grace. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to ask a couple of questions. I've spoken, as, I've spoken of Jesus as a king He is the king of kings and his greatness is unsearchable and you may believe that he is king, but you have not trusted him as your king. Have you put your faith in Jesus as your personal king? Can you say with David, Jesus is my king? Not just a king. Not just the king, but my king. He invites you right now to bow your heart, bow your, whatever you're trusting in, and put your faith, all of it, into Jesus as your king. And you could say that to him right now. Jesus, you are my king. And I've trusted in other kings and they have let me down. But today I put my faith and my trust in you. For the rest of us, is there anything that is obstructing our view of his greatness? Anything in the way? Anything casting a shadow that needs to be removed by his grace? Anything that needs to be pushed aside for Jesus to be exalted to the highest place in this moment, in these days, on this week. And how is God calling you to the next generation? Who is He bringing to your mind? Family member, a friend, a niece a nephew, a grandchild, a broken marriage? How does God want to use you in the next generation? Let's sing and let's pray and let's commit to the Lord whatever he is calling us to do.